When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People who are just traveling through there and, and maybe don't know about this, they don't know that they're going to come over a hill and there's going to be a crowd of people in the middle of the highway with you know their dog and a bandana. I mean, there are people on skateboards. There are people doing handstands. You'll, you'll see all the time a couple, and I don't know why we don't do this, Matt, <laughs> but a couple, like they'll hold hands and they'll run down the middle of We're the highway and no. she has like a flowing dress on. <laughs> Yeah, we're not do- we're, we're not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast. Stories from our journey to all the US national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're taking you to the Southwest to some parks that are located in the Navajo Nation. We'll be showcasing three very special parks, Navajo National Monument, Monument Valley, and Canyon de Chez National Monument, and explaining the differences between the ones that are managed with the National Park Service and the ones that are managed solely by the Navajo people. Plus, tips on what to do and see in the parks, some fascinating stories from the history archives, and why you should visit all three of these remarkable places. Karen, before we get into the details of the park, there's one thing we should talk about which always confuses me. Just one but thing? Just one thing confuses you? <laughs> I never know what time it is. First of all, I never know what time it is in Arizona to begin with, right? Right. And, and then the Navajo Nation, they don't always follow Arizona time. Arizona doesn't observe daylight savings time. Right. They, they don't change their clocks ever. They don't change their clocks. They just change what time zone they're in. <laughs> The Navajo Nation is on mountain time, so mountain daylight savings time. From March to November. Okay. So this is why I'm confused. (laughs) From March to November, the Navajo Nation observes mountain daylight savings time. Right. So there are times when Arizona is in Pacific time zone, Navajo Nation's in mountain daylight savings time, and then they switch them back and forth. So I just ask locals. (laughs) I just ask somebody walking down the street, what time, hey, what time is it? Because usually it doesn't matter. We're on, you know, we're on a trip and we're enjoying ourselves. Doesn't matter what time it is, unless you have a tour that you have to get to. Right. That starts at a specific time and you can't just show up an hour late. You can show up an hour early. Yeah, but unfortunately, the Navajo Nation from March to November, when they observe Mountain Daylight Savings Time, they're an hour later than the rest of Arizona. So you would have missed, if you didn't know that, you would have shown up and you would have missed your tour because during those months, they're an hour later. So to make it less confusing, the folks at the Antelope Canyon Tours, they have decided to stay on Whatever time it is in Page, because the town of Page is literally like five minutes away from 
from the Antelope Canyon tours. But that doesn't help, right? <laughs> because the Navajo Nation still is on a different time zone. It's just the tour isn't on Navajo time. So if you're trying to to figure it out and figure out when what time it is on the Navajo Nation, that still might not be the time it is at the Antelope Canyon. Right. Where you're going on a tour, even though that's on the Navajo Nation, because they're going to, for, for convenience sake, be on page time. But... I don't know what time it is in Page, even though I'm in Page. <laughs> I know what I know when I'm hungry for lunch, and we go to the chicken place with the big rooster out front. So I, I know it's lunchtime, but I don't know what my clock should say. I know it is very confusing. I'm guessing that the tour guides at the Antelope Canyon tours probably had to set the tours for the same time that it is in Page because so many people would have missed their tours if they didn't do that, right? Because everybody stays in Page to go to those tours. So I'm sure they they did do it as a convenience to people, but we're always double checking their website. And we even called the last time, like, what time are you on? And they said, Look at your clock and page. We're on the same time as yeah, but, page. But, but, but my clock and page <laughs> is, wrong. Is, all, is wrong half the time I know. because I don't know what time it is in Arizona. <laughs> we had to do some advanced calculating because we were staying in page. We drove and crossed the Utah border very close. You know, it's, I don't know how far the Utah border is from there, like 15 minutes we wanted to watch the sunset. And then all of a sudden we realized, well, now it's an hour <laughs> earlier or later. So, you know, and then we realized that the sun would set at the same no, time. I, <laughs> I wasn't confused about that. I still don't know what time it is, but I know that the sun is is always going to be in the same spot no matter what time zone you're in. No, I get that. But if, if you look up that the sun sets at 7.15 and then you cross over, yeah, I don't know. It's very confusing. But we're just giving you a heads up that when you are in Arizona and going to and from the Navajo Nation, make sure you check what time it is yeah. if you have to be somewhere at a specific time. You have the same issue. I think we had the same issue at Havasupai, the Wallapai, those uh, nations that are you know adjacent to the Grand Canyon further west. I think they do something similar. Yeah, I never know what time it is when I'm down there. Yeah. Luckily, like you said, it doesn't really matter unless you have a unless, unless you have you a tour, have a tour <laughs> which is what we do down there most of the time. So, anyway, so yeah, we got that cleared up. Yes, I'm glad we cleared that yes, up. Yes, I'm for glad everybody. we we ended the confusion on that. <laughs> One more note: these Navajo parks were closed for quite a while due to the pandemic, and then when they reopened, there was a mask mandate on the Navajo Nation, and and wherever anyone, whether you are Navajo or a visitor, everyone had to wear a mask in every location. Anyway, they just lifted that mask mandate in January of this year, 2023. And I know we tell people all the time to check websites for details of your trip before you go. However, sometimes we have seen the mask mandate lifted because we've seen a news report, but the websites still say there's a mask mandate. So that can be a little bit confusing also. It can. And you know, what was interesting, we were recently at um, Jewel Cave in South Dakota, 
And this was last summer, and they had lifted the mask mandate, and then they put it back in place. And so we had to wear a mask in the visitor center, on the cave tour, and everything. So it does change, and just because it gets lifted doesn't mean it might not be put back in place at some point. Yeah, I know it's a hassle, but I always carry like a pack of 10 new masks in the console of the truck, just in case... If we run into a situation where the rule has changed, we're ready to go. Right. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit first about the Navajo Nation itself. It is 27,000 square miles. It's huge. If you look at a map, it's it's a massive area. It's in four different states, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, that Four Corners area. A lot of it's in Arizona, but it does stretch through all four of those states. There's a population of about 400,000 Navajo Nation members there. It's the largest tribe in the United States. It's interesting because in that 27,000 square miles, there are pockets of land that isn't Navajo land. Remember when we went to Chaco Culture in New Mexico and we did some other public lands around that, we were frequently driving in and out of little pockets of Navajo land. So when you are on your road trip, it's up to you to know where you are and to understand if you are on the Navajo Nation, they have very specific laws and they have their own police, they have their own courts of law, they have their own jails. And so they have, we'll just mention a very few specific rules when you are on the Navajo Nation. Yes, a few of them, the biggies, no littering, no rock climbing. This is kind of a big one because a lot of the landscape on Navajo land they feel is sacred and they they don't want people just climbing on anything. No spreading of cremated ashes, that's that's a big one. No drones, no alcohol, no guns, and no hiking or camping without a permit. Right. You cannot wander around or hike in the Navajo Nation without uh, getting permission ahead of time. But we'll go into more detail on that in a few minutes. Okay, people want to know whether their national park pass gets them into these Navajo parks. Here are the details on that. Both Navajo National Monument and Canyon de Chez are on Navajo land, but are co-managed with the National Park Service. So your America the Beautiful Pass or Senior Pass or any of those other passes that are part of the America the Beautiful program would work here. But you don't need those because these are fee-free parks. Right. No admission to get into those. But (laughs) if you go to Monument Valley Tribal Park, which is not part of the National Park Service, they have a big sign at the ticket booth. Your America the Beautiful Pass does not work here. They recently changed their fee structure. It used to be when we would go, it was $20 per car. Now it says on the website that it's $8 per person per day. Right. So used to be if you had five people in your car, it was 20 bucks. But now if you have five people in your car, it's 40 bucks. Uh, the other thing we should mention, the Antelope Canyons, Upper and Lower and Canyon X, those are not part of the National Park Service. So your pass doesn't get you into those. We did an entire episode on Antelope Canyon, episode 52. So check out that episode to learn more about those. And the cost to do those Antelope Canyon tours varies depending on which tour you're going to do. Canyon X was the least expensive, then Lower Canyon, and then Upper Canyon is the most expensive. But those ticket prices change, and they're all online. So you could check that out if that's something you want to do. Okay, so I think we've confused everybody on... (laughs) 
the time zones <laughs> and the laws and where you are and what passes get you into which parks. So let's just dig right into some of the parks we're going to cover today. Yeah, I thought we would start in Page, Arizona and kind of work directionally from there. Obviously, you might be coming from Utah or you might be coming from Petrified Forest National Parks. But we, just for the sake of having this flow a little bit, we will start in Page, assuming that visitors are going to want to see those Antelope Canyon tours. Okay, let's say we are in Page to go to Navajo National Monument. It would be about 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. If you were in Monument Valley, for instance, it's about an hour. Right. So it's kind of halfway between Page, Arizona and Monument Valley. Yes. Now, this is a really interesting national monument. It was created back in 1909 to protect what's left of three large pueblos that date to the 13th century. And those ruins are called Keat Seal, Batatican, and Inscription House. In addition to those large Puebloan villages, they have found archaeological evidence that shows that humans have lived in this region dating back several thousand years. Yeah, the villages that are there, they were constructed by ancestral Puebloan people approximately 1250 to 1300 A.D., and those sites are considered amongst the largest and most intact archaeological ruins in the southwestern area of the United States. That's right. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. And for those of you who listen to all of our podcast episodes, I love that everything kind of gets tied in together. Because for those of you who listened to our Chaco culture episode, we talked about how the people fled in 1200 to 1300. Well, guess where they went? They went here. They went here. They went a lot of places, but these Puebloan ruins, they believe, are built by the Native Americans who left Chaco culture. And the other thing that ties into that particular episode was Native Americans have known about the Keats Seal ruin for hundreds of years, but in 1895, Richard Weatherhill, who we talked about, he's of Mesa Verde fame. He's the one who discovered some of those ruins. He drew the attention of museum collectors and others to these large cliff dwellings. So he found them, he started excavating them, and then the government officials recognized the need to protect them from looters and, and other vandalism. And so so President William Taft was able to establish this as a national monument by presidential proclamation in 1909 under the authority granted to him by the 1906 Antiquities Act. So it's interesting because everything we talk about kind of ties in together with this particular Navajo National Monument. It does. And it's a good thing the Antiquities Act was passed. It was actually passed while... Teddy Roosevelt was president, and he did a lot for the National Parks. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about him in a future episode when we talk about Teddy Roosevelt National Park. But yeah, that act then gave the president of the United States executive power to quickly protect areas, which is really what they needed back then because people were starting to crawl around all, all areas of previously unexplored territory in the West and uh, they needed to protect these areas pretty quick. Well, they did. And they were looting all of the, the pottery that was left and, and the artifacts and, and the jewelry and things like that. People were looting the sites. So thank goodness for the Antiquities Act to preserve and protect some of these places. So if you're at Navajo National Monument, 
What is there to do there, Karen? Well, this would be a pretty quick stop along your road trip, unless you want to do a ranger-led hike. So the first thing, like in every park, you're going to want to check out the visitor center, um, which, you know, they sell some Native American goods in there. There are a few short trails in the park. By short, I mean a mile or less. But the main one that most people do is the short trail to the overlook of the Patatican Cliff Dwelling. Yeah, it's about a one-mile round trip. We did that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a nice little trail. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit downhill going there. Um, so you're kind of coming uphill, coming back, but it was a, it was an easy trail, I would say, and it was very interesting. You you get a sense of the land, the landscape area that the park has. Uh, there are opportunities to do backpacking trips deep, kind of deep into the park, which is a whole nother thing. But yeah, it's it was a, it's a beautiful landscape. And this is called the Sandal Trail, and it, it's the only point in the park where you can see the cliff dwelling, unless you go on the ranger led tour. We did the short hike to the Overlook. You're actually looking down into the canyon. It sits pretty far down. Now, if you want to hike to this and sign up for the Ranger-led tour, they offer these during the summer on Saturdays and Sundays at 7 a.m. Yeah, which doesn't (laughs) sound all that early except for the fact that... I mean, you're you're an hour to hour and a half away from really anywhere that you would spend the night, unless you're going to camp somewhere. There is a campground there, yeah. Yeah. So if you're, let's say you're in Page, you're going to have to leave Page at 5 a.m. And good luck trying to figure out what 5 a.m. is at, I was in just going to say, you, in you the know. summer, you've got the hour time change, so you'd have to leave an hour earlier. Yeah. But we're not trying to discourage anyone because I'm sure it's wonderful. Now, you can't book this ahead of time. There is a sign-up sheet in the visitor center. It's a first-come, first-serve, and they limit it to 25 people. Now, everyone needs to know, though, this is a strenuous five-mile round-trip hike, and the tours usually take from four to five hours. Yeah, that would be a cool hike to do, though. It would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we could just sleep in, in our car <laughs> right. at the visitor center, which I don't think they want you to do. No, I'm sure you can't do that. Now, this ranger-led tour starts at an elevation of 7,300 feet, and then you hike down into the canyon about 700 feet, and then, of course, you have to hike your way back up, and there is a lot of exposure to heat and sun. That's probably why they start at 7 a.m., yeah, so you're not hiking in, in the sun. Then you'd be back by about noon. Right, right. I'm yeah. sure that's why they do it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the backpacking mat. This is what I want to do. We found this out when we were visiting. So one of the ruins that we mentioned, Keat Seal, it's a 17-mile round-trip strenuous hike. So what a lot of people do is they backpack there. They do um, half of it, spend the night and do the second half the next day. You do have to have a permit for that and permits are not currently offered. So remember we were chatting with the ranger about that? Yeah, he was. He wanted us to make some noise on our social media <laughs> because he wanted that hike to open back up. He, yes. He, was, he wanted us to encourage the park management to open that uh, hike back up. So yeah, we, we haven't done that, have we? We have not done that. Well, actually, we're doing that right we're now. We're doing it right now. <laughs> yeah. So if you're visiting and you would like to do this, make sure you chat with them about it because I would really love to see this offered again. Um, I think it would be an incredible experience. Apparently, what they used to do is you actually hike on your own and then there is like a ranger cabin that's 
close to the ruin and there is a ranger station there. And then when you get there, the ranger comes out, the ranger takes you on a tour of the ruin, you can spend the night and then you hike yourself back out. I think the ranger obviously is there to safeguard, um, you know, safeguard this very special place, make sure that everyone is respectful. Anyway, that is now in my wish bucket. So hopefully they will reinstate that soon. But you don't get to stay in the ranger's cabin. No. No, no, you do not. <laughs> Ranger's I'm all sure. nice, comfy, cozy in there. Unless you make and, really and good friends just with sleep him. Sleep on or, a rock somewhere. Or her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, too, is this might be more information than anybody needs, but I'm so intrigued by it and I really want to do it. They said you have to carry all your own water because there is no place with good water that you can filter. So, you know, that's a lot of water through the desert and people. Uh, people start off with a lot and then they stash their water along the way for the way back in different spots. That is a lot of water. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you need a lot more water than you realize. Oh, yes. Especially, you know, what it's like out there. I mean, right. little shade, deserty, sandy. So, yeah. Anyway, in the bucket. One more note, the third significant archaeological ruin inscription house is closed to the public indefinitely because of its remote location and its fragile state. And do you know, Matt, it has been closed since 1968. Wow. I know. What's uh, what's going on? Can we... Can we get that open back up? I don't think so. The main reason they closed it is because of vandalism in the 1950s. And they said that unauthorized visitors sometimes would dig in the ruins looking for artifacts and local school children scratched their initials in the adobe walls. So the Park Service um, had to take action and close it. But, you know, I was thinking when I read that, that we see vandalism now in the parks and everyone is is furious and rightly so. And it's what's wrong with people? Why are people doing this? And it's actually been going on for a very, very, very long time. Forever. Yes. Anyway, it's a great monument, but if you are not doing the ranger-led tour, it's a quick stop. You go to the visitor center, you do that little hike to the overlook, which is beautiful, look down at Patatican, and then go on your way to our next stop, which is the beautiful, incredible Monument Valley. A lot of times we go to Monument Valley when we're doing a tour of southern Utah, because Monument Valley is right on the border of Utah and Arizona. But if you're in Pegs, it's about a two and a half hour drive. Monument Valley is over 91,000 acres. So it's pretty big. It is big. And it's famous for its towering sandstone buttes. And some of them are as tall as a thousand feet above the valley floor. And because of its unique landscape, there were a lot of cowboy western movies filmed in Monument Valley from the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And it is this iconic landscape, isn't it, Matt? And it's so iconic that it was the inspiration for the Roadrunner cartoon. Oh, I forgot about that. So whenever you see the the coyote running, chasing the Roadrunner, and the Roadrunner stops, and the coyote goes off, and then he falls, you know, a thousand feet down, like that's supposed to be Monument Valley. Are there are those cartoons still on? Uh, Has he been canceled? No, no, it's not. I don't think they did anything like Pepe Le Pew. Okay. I mean. Fortunately for Roadrunner, I, I don't think either of them spoke. 
So had they had speaking parts in the cartoon, they probably would have been canceled by now because they would have said something offensive. Right, you right. Know, like Pepe Le Pew. But no, they're not canceled. Now, there is some confusion surrounding Monument Valley amongst people who have never been there before. And we totally get this because we were confused, too. Monument Valley is this big area, and Monument Valley Navajo Tribal Park is a much smaller area inside the bigger area. So if you want to drive through Monument Valley, it's free. Highway 163 will take you through this beautiful landscape past a lot of buttes, and that is, you know, that's a public highway. It's free to drive, and you can look out your window and see some cool stuff. But the Navajo Tribal Park is an area off Highway 163, and it's not free. Before we get into that, I wanted to mention there is one spot that people like to pull off and take a look at the scenery. I I think there are tons of places to stop and just look at the buttes. But one in particular is pretty popular because it was the scene out of a Forrest Gump movie. So it's an iconic scene where... He's running, you know, he became a runner during the movie and he was running all through the United States and he has all these followers running behind him and he just decides while he's running, he's in the middle of nowhere in a road, he stops and decides it's time to go home. And right there where he stops, where they filmed that is on Highway 163 with Monument Valley in the background. And so if you watch the movie, you can see exactly where they filmed that scene. Of course, everyone and their dog knows this now, and people (laughs) stop and get their picture taken right there. It's called Forrest Gump Point. We've seen a lot of um, interesting things going on there. And I will say, we don't mean to judge people because we have walked into the middle of the highway to take that same photo. It's just a two-lane highway. And the thing is, you know, you pull over, there's there's plenty of shoulder um, spots to pull over. You can see traffic coming from a long way in both directions. Well, you can, but long way, maybe maybe a quarter of a mile. It's a highway. Yes, it is a highway. It is a highway right. at highway speeds. Yes. And people who are just traveling through there and, and maybe don't know about this, they don't know that they're going to come over a hill and there's going to be a crowd of people in the middle of the highway with you know their dog and a bandana. I mean, there are people on skateboards. There are people doing handstands. You'll, you'll see all the time a couple, and I don't know why we don't do this, Matt, <laughs> but a couple, like they'll hold hands and they'll run down the middle of We're the highway and she no. has like a flowing dress on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're not do- we're, we're not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> you know what else we see, and it's super dangerous, is people lying down in the middle of the road on the yellow line. I can't even believe that. So if you're driving through this area, be sure to drive slowly because you never know who might pop out onto the road or who might actually be in the road. Could be Matt and Karen Smith. <laughs> To take a photo. <laughs> we have, I, no, we check for traffic. We do. And uh, we, we are, there's liter- no traffic anywhere near when we go out there. No. And it's literally, we take five steps to the center, snap a photo, and go back to our car. So we're not, um, we're not doing any stunts yet. But we're setting, we're setting a bad example. <laughs> I know we are. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the tribal park. There is a turnoff off of 163 into the Monument Valley Navajo Tribal Park. It's very well signed. After you take that turnoff, that's the point where you have to pay. There's a ticket booth you go through, and as we said, it's now $8 per person. 
and they have a huge parking lot with room for not just cars, but tour buses. There's like a visitor center with a very, very nice gift shop. (laughs) It has a fantastic gift shop. Uh, Here is a tip. The view from the patio in front of the gift shop may be the best place to get a photograph of Monument Valley of anywhere. Right. You know, there's no drones allowed, although we see drone shots all the time on social media. I don't know if those people are getting permits or they're just... They don't care. They're just sending up their drone. Yeah. Uh, but from that patio, it almost looks like a drone shot because it sits up. Yes. And so you can get a fantastic photo from right there. So once you've explored this little gift shop area, there are two things to do. One is the Monument Valley Loop Drive. This is a 17-mile dirt road that takes you back through some really amazing buttes. There, there are a lot of them that are concentrated in this particular area. But that road is rough. <laughs> it's very rough. We did it in, in an F-150, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. And I thought the back end of the truck was just going to shake off. Maybe they've improved it since. So if you are uncomfortable taking your own car back there, especially if you have a rental car and it's it's low clearance, you know, you can always take part in a tour and have someone else do the driving. They have these open air tour buses, if you will. They're more like, I don't know, what would you call those, Matt? Like a... Open air tour bus. <laughs> bus, isn't ex- bus isn't the word I'm looking bus. for. It's not a know. bus. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like a flatbed truck with seats-ish. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But anyway, we have not done that. I don't think you have to sign up in advance because there are a lot of them that seem to be just sitting there waiting for people and drivers waiting for people to come up. Yeah, it seems like they have a lot of capacity there for that. So I I don't think you're going to get nixed out on not being able to get on one of the trucks. Right. Now, the other thing you can do is there is one hiking trail there called the Wildcat Trail. And it's the only hike that you can do in the park without a Navajo guide or without a permit. We have done that. It circumnavigates one of the mittens, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. There's East Mitten and West Mitten, and they're called mittens because the buttes kind of look like a hand with the thumb kind of jutting out. The Wildcat Trail is a loop that's about four miles, and it starts over by the View Hotel. That looks like a really nice place to stay. I would like to stay there because it looks like they've built all the rooms. They all have fantastic views. There are also cabins Yes, over by the Wildcat Trail trailhead. So yeah, we should try the cabins also sometime. We should, because I think it would be amazing to see sunset and sunrise there in the Monument Valley Tribal Park. Again, this is inside the Tribal Park. If you want to hike someplace else in Monument Valley Tribal Park, you need to get a permit from the visitor center, and that's an extra $8 a day charge. Just know that if you want to hike anywhere on the Navajo Nation or go to, you know, some cool land formation, you need to look into getting a permit. Yeah, and that's pretty important to do. If if they catch you hiking on the land with, without a permit, I mean, they can, they can charge you fines. They can also prohibit you from getting a permit in the future. There is a, a website, NavajoNationParks.org. Org mm-hmm. that you can look at these places. We went to a place one time called Coal Mine Canyon, and we went to a little permit office over by Cameron. By the Cameron Trading Post, yeah. just at that roundabout there. 
Yeah, and we went mm-hmm. in and paid, I don't know, like our 10 bucks. But I'm glad we, we had it because we were out, gosh, we were out in the middle of nowhere. It's nice to know that you have the permit, so you're allowed to be there. Another visitor came along. We thought he was a tribal police officer. He actually was. <laughs> <laughs> but he was off duty just taking photographs. We had a lot, nice long visit with him. But had he been on duty, we would have been in trouble if we didn't have a permit. Yeah. And you put a copy of the permit on your dashboard, you know, when you leave your car. And I know when he parked next to us, I saw him glance at our permit. This is one of the laws of the Navajo Nation that everyone needs to respect. So no matter where you're going, there are different trails and different cool things to see. Definitely do your research and find out what's the closest spot to get your permit. I did see, Matt, you can also apply online. I think it's it takes a little while because you submit a form and then I think they later they send you the permit in some fashion. So it's not automatic. But anyway, just FYI, uh, make sure you do your research on that. One more area that visitors might want to check out in Monument Valley is the historic Goldings Lodge. There are lodge rooms and cabins to stay in a museum, a restaurant, a gift shop, and a campground to stay in. Yeah, there's a lot over there. Uh, Back in the early 1920s, Harry Goulding was able to purchase a plot of land there, and he and his wife set up a trading post. Now, it started out in tents, and the Gouldings conducted business with the local Navajo people, trading food and other goods for handcrafted items like rugs and jewelry, And over the decades, they just expanded from there. So this is another lodging option in addition to the view. All right. So let's say we are now leaving Monument Valley and we're headed to Canyon de Chez National Monument in Chinle, Arizona. It's going to take you about 90 minutes to get from the Monument Valley area to Canyon de Chez and you're headed uh, southeast at this point. Canyon de Chez doesn't get a lot of visitors. There were only 355,000 visitors in 2022, which isn't a whole lot. And maybe they're not getting a ton of traffic just because it's not really on your way to or from anywhere. Uh, But it's definitely worth a side trip if you have an extra day or so to go see it. Definitely. A lot of people are unclear how to pronounce this because it's spelled C-H-E-L-L-Y. You would think it's Chelly, but it's not Chelly. It's Canyon de Chez, and it's a beautiful park. It is. It's known for its spectacular sheer walled canyons and numerous ancestral Puebloan dwellings situated at the base of towering cliffs with breathtaking views from the rim, similar to a smaller Grand Canyon. Right, but not as deep as the Grand Canyon. Yeah, as a matter of fact, at the far west end of the canyon, it's only about 30 feet deep. But as you go further and further into the canyon, the canyon walls continue to rise and At the end, it's a 1,000 feet deep. Right. If you were just to stand on the very western end and look in, you would be disappointed. You would think, wow, I came all this way. Navajo people can even drive in from that very west side. I think there's a road down there. And that brings us to the point of... All visitors have to stay on the rim. You cannot go down into the canyon unless you are there with a Navajo guide. All right, so what can you do when you visit Canyon de Chez? Well, your first stop, as always, should be the visitor center, and you can get information about the ranger-led hike, which is the only way you can hike down into the canyon. It used to be, when we first visited in 2012, 
It used to be that visitors were allowed to do one hike without a guide. There was one trail down into the canyon that would take you to the White House, which is an archaeological ruin down there. Now, unfortunately, they have closed that. It's been closed for a couple of years now because of um, safety and law enforcement concerns. So now the only public trail that you could use is closed. The thing that most visitors do is drive along the north and south rims and stop at the overlooks. So the south rim drive is about 36 miles round trip, and it leads to five different overlooks. And so those overlooks, those are looking into Canyon de Chez. Right. There are three, actually three different canyons that make up this particular park. Yeah. And then the north rim, it's a 32 mile round trip. It has three overlooks. Uh, you're looking into Canyon del Muerto. Also, there is Monument Canyon. Right. When you look at Canyon de Chez on a map, it almost looks like the um, the limbs on a tree, the way it branches out. So it is not just one long continuous canyon. There are a lot of like little fingers, I guess. I don't know if fingers doesn't sound. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, pro- <laughs> that's probably a good description. Yeah. I think when people see photos of Canyon de Chez, you're Probably the most famous photo of Canyon de Chez is Spider Rock. And that would be, you would see that from the South Rim Drive. And it's about a 700-foot spire coming right out of the canyon. Yes. And all you have to do is stand on the rim, you know, stand at the overlook and point your camera. And the photo is unbelievable because you have the rest of the canyon sort of unfolding behind Spider Rock. I was just looking at our photos uh, before we started recording this. And gosh, that Spider Rock is spectacular. Yeah. And people do not climb that. That is that is not a rock climbing destination. You can't go in there and... and rock climate. That's that's a big no-no. Right. Now, this monument was established back in 1931. And as we mentioned, it's co-managed by the NPS and the Navajo Nation. And one of the unique things about this park, and one of the reasons why visitors aren't allowed down into the canyon is because members of the Navajo community continue to live down there. They raise crops, they tend their flocks of sheep, and they cultivate peach orchards. When we've been there, the canyon has looked really green because of these orchards. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to do a hike down in there years and years ago. The park ranger, who's in Navajo, led us down there on, on the public tour. And there's a lot of flat area down at the bottom of the canyon. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different look than the Grand Canyon. They call this, you know, the mini Grand Canyon. It looks a lot different than the Grand Canyon. Right. And of course, it doesn't have a river running through it like the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. Now, you cannot get a complete picture of Canyon de Chez without learning about its history. Over the past 150 years, the Navajo people have been subjected to tragic events. And we wanted to mention one event that is tied to Canyon de Chez. This was the site where the Navajo made their last stand against Kit Carson, who was the U.S. Army colonel leading a command against the Navajo people back in 1864. So this confrontation ended in the largest 
Native American surrender in history and led to what is called the Long Walk, where 8,000 people were taken captive and forced to walk nearly 400 miles to Bosque Redondo Reservation near Fort Sumner in what's now New Mexico. And eventually, the 1868 Treaty of Bosque Redondo allowed the Navajo people to return to their homeland. And there was actually then a second Long Walk where they had to walk all those miles back. Yeah, it's a really a sad part of, of their history. Yeah, and one of the things that our ranger pointed out to us when we did the tour, that one of the stories he told was that in the winter of 1863-64, when the U.S. Army tried to capture the remaining Indians who were living in Canyon de Chelly, they numbered somewhere between 60 and 200 Navajos, and these were men and women and children. The residents, these Navajo people, had already been approached by the U.S. government about voluntarily leaving their land and going to this New Mexico reservation, and they refused. So based on previous dealings, they knew that soldiers would be coming for them. So these Navajo in Canyon de Chelly crafted a plan. Earlier, they had successfully hidden out from the Spanish on top of a 700-foot-high mesa that's now called Fortress Rock, and they thought that maybe this Fortress Rock would shelter them from the American soldiers as well. Yeah, so that's an incredible story because you got to get up there. I mean, this is a plateau with no easy way to get up there. The walls around Fortress Rock are straight up and down, which is what makes it a great fortress. And when you think about people living up there, it's pretty remarkable. So what they did was, this is in advance, they cut down ponderosa trees that were along the rim, and they made long poles with notches in them so they could use those as ladders to climb the 700 feet to the top. And so women, they dried fruit and meat to be cached at the top, you know, so they could stay there for a long time. They collected rainwater from depressions in the rock. And you can still see to this day, there are handholds that are carved in the rock face. They were carved by the ancestral Puebloan people who used to live there. And that is what these Navajo people used to climb up. But just imagine, they had packs full of food and water, they had babies strapped to their cradle boards on their mother's backs, and they had elderly So they are using these hand and footholds until they got to spots where it was so vertical and so slick that then they put up these poles that they had prepared with the notches in them. They climbed up these poles and then when they would get to the top and they were all up there, they pulled the poles up behind them so that the soldiers couldn't come up after them. I can't even imagine what that must have been like just to get up there. That's kind of a risky plan because you're up there. You would think that the soldiers could just wait them out. Well, and that's what the soldiers tried to do. So the soldiers came. They knew that the Navajo people were up there, whether it was from the smoke of their of the fires or if they could actually see them. And so they camped at the base of Fortress Rock to wait them out because they figured they would run out of food. But ironically, it was the cavalry that ran short of food. They didn't think this was going to take that long. And after three weeks, they were out of food. So the soldiers packed up and left and the Navajo Navajo people climbed down. However, it wasn't long before the soldiers came back, and this time there was no chance for the Navajo to hide. So they 
ended up they did have to go on this um, on the long walk to the reservation. So it worked once, but it didn't work the second time. Right. And what's also interesting, if you go to the Navajo Times online newspaper, there is a photo of Fortress Rock where there is a pole with notches in it leaning up against the rock. And you can see right behind the pole, you can see the footholds that are carved into the rock next to it. So very fascinating. And one more note, if you haven't read the book Blood and Thunder, it's a book about Kit Carson and the conflict with the Indians in the Southwest. It's fascinating, and it goes into the story in detail, more from the soldier's perspective, but lots of interesting um, stories in that book. It makes such a difference to read historical accounts about these places before you visit where you read you read the historic descriptions and then once you're there the landscape the history it takes on a, a completely different meaning when you're there cuz you're now seeing these areas that you read about so check out that book before you go Now, where to stay? We wanted to mention the Thunderbird Lodge, which is where we stayed. And it's only a half a mile south of the visitor center. It's Navajo owned. It's technically within the National Monument. And you know what I found out, Matt? It used to be a trading post that was established in 1902. And since then, of course, they have added on and they have built, you know, guest rooms and things. But I feel like that Thunderbird Lodge, you get kind of an authentic experience by staying there. It did have a historic feel, Mm -hmm. didn't it? I mean, the room we were in was a modern motel-like room. But uh, yeah, when we walked around, I think we walked to a snack bar for dinners. A lot of the buildings felt 100 years old because they were. Yeah, there is, I believe, a new Holiday Inn in Chinle, which is another option. But Chinle is a pretty small town. And as far as food and lodging, there is not much there. So we liked staying in the Thunderbird Lodge because of the history and because of the location. Also, the folks at the lodge book Navajo tours down into the canyon, if that's something you want to do. They have, again, those kind of open air trucks. Again, I don't know what you call them. but Open air trucks. (laughs) Not buses. (laughs) That you can ride in and go on tours if you don't want to hike down into the canyon like we did. Right. And we did that hike. I'm, I'm glad we did. It was the park-sanctioned hike. It was a ranger who let it down. We, our ranger was Ravis Henry. I asked him when we were there if being an employee of the National Park Service amongst the Native Americans there, was was that a prestigious thing? And he said, yeah, it really was. It's, it's a coveted job to be part of the National Park Service. He was a great guide, really good information, real authentic, because he grew up right there. It was fascinating. Now, if this is something that's of interest to you, you cannot sign up ahead of time. So you just literally sign up in the visitor center in person. It's the first 15 people go on the tour. So if you need to know specific times that the tour is going to be offered, you're going to have to call the visitor center and ask them. I thought that this this hike down into the canyon with Ranger Henry was, I'd say, moderately strenuous. What would you say? Yeah, there was some downhill, it seems like. At the beginning, it was kind of steep, but then you get into the canyon, and from there, it was a lot of flat walking. Fortunately, it's kind of to the western end of the canyon, so it's not super steep at that point. I think it took, I'm going to say, it took maybe three hours, the tour-ish, I believe. Um, And he showed us petroglyphs and some ancestral Puebloan ruins that were built into the cliffside because... 
again, the people who lived in Chaco culture area also came to Canyon de Chez and they built these homes in the cliffs. So you can see you can see the whole picture of kind of where these folks scattered and settled after they left Chaco. All right. So where else can you stay? There is a campground. Mm-hmm. There's the Cottonwood Campground. It has restrooms. It does not have showers. It does not have RV hookups. Right. Um, so that's also an option for staying close to the, the National Monument. Yes. And, you know, probably one day in Canyon de Chez is all you need. Um, you could do a tour, either the Ranger-led or the Navajo-led truck tour. You could drive to the overlooks. But probably you're not going to need more than one day, wouldn't you say? No, I don't, I don't think so because there's just – there's not that many – tours available to, to get into the canyon. Right. So this had been on my list of places to see for so long, because I don't know if you remember this, Matt, but we used to have hanging on our wall when we were first married, there is a, a famous Edward Curtis photo that he took in Canyon de Chez around the year 1904. And it shows seven Navajo men on horseback with the canyon in the background. And um, ever since I saw that photo, and heard the name I had wanted to go there. For a long time, you would look for Edward Curtis photos, like at gift mm-hmm. shops or mm-hmm. like antique places. Uh, he, he did fantastic photos of Native Americans. And, and yeah, that was part of the motivation or inspiration to go there. Yes. Okay. We have one more stop, which is the Hubble Trading Post National Historic Site in Ganado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is about 30 to 40 minutes south of Canyon de Chez. So if you're headed in that direction, you do not want to miss this. Now, interestingly enough, this is not a Navajo park. It's on Navajo land, but it's run completely by the National Park Service. Yeah, it's an NPS site. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been there a couple of times this last time. A, A couple of years ago, we happened to be driving past. Really didn't have plans to stop for very long. We like going into their little trading post, trading post part where they sell merchandise. But it turns out they were giving a tour and we took that tour and it was was incredible. Yes. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I wanted to say, first of all, what is Hubble Trading Post? Um, It's a mercantile. (laughs) I love to use the word mercantile mercantile. wherever we can. It's been selling goods and trading Native American art since 1878 when John Lorenzo Hubble bought this trading post. And this was 10 years after the Navajos were allowed to return to their homeland from their exile at Bosque Redondo. The Hubble family operated the trading post until it was sold to the National Park Service in 1967. Now it's still an active trading post and it's operated by the nonprofit organization Western National Parks Association. And they continue the trading traditions that the Hubble family started. So when you go into the trading post, that first room you go in, there's food for sale. And I mean, yeah. it's, it's like a regular kind of like a little market. It has an 1878 feel. Yes, it does. Right. Yeah. You, you can buy stuff. And they have a very high quality Navajo arts and crafts. They do. They have gorgeous jewelry. They have an entire room full of Navajo rugs. So we were in heaven when we were there because we love looking at Native American crafts. And so if that's all you do, it's worth a stop. You could also, I think you can get a cool drink. You could get some ice cream. (laughs) But that tour was 
was what was really amazing. Right. We we had always thought that that mercantile was it, was the thing to see. And and it's nice. And there is a little modern visitor center, although it was closed when we were there. I don't, I think for renovation. But the bonus of our last visit there was the Hubble family home that's right behind the mercantile. And a ranger was getting ready to take some folks through there. And he had, I don't know, maybe four or five people, visitors, ready for the tour. And he said, if you'd like to take the tour, you can certainly join us. That was an incredible tour of the Hubble family home. Well, it was. And like you said, Matt, we didn't even know it was there. But what's amazing about it is they have left the home furnished exactly as it was by the Hubble family. And so there are some incredible Native American arts and crafts and artwork. So as the ranger told us, there is a famous American artist Elbridge Iyer Burbank, and he sketched and painted more than 1,200 portraits of Native Americans from 125 tribes, including some of the greatest Native American leaders like Geronimo and Red Cloud and Chief Joseph. And he drew these in red pencil. So if you see a pencil portrait of a Native American that's red, it very likely is a Burbank. And What was so cool about this home is I don't know how many of these sketches they had, but they were everywhere. It is the most complete collection of Elbridge Burbank drawings anywhere in the world. The ranger told us that the artist stayed there with the Hubble family for long periods of time as he was traveling throughout the Southwest, and and he became a friend of theirs. And so they ended up with the most amazing collection of artwork that we have ever seen outside of a museum. (laughs) Yeah, it it was pretty stunning that this house behind the mercantile, an unassuming-looking house. And it's always great to see literally how people lived back then, the size of their beds, the size of their bedrooms, and and that's interesting. But the walls are covered in really priceless artwork. And our tour guide was a Navajo ranger named Alvis. He said it's Elvis with an A, so Alvis. You know, it was so fascinating because he talked a lot about the Navajo people and their beliefs and things like that. So it's such an amazing education for us. Then at the end, there was like a little twist. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Right. Ranger Alvis was very enthusiastic in his description of Elbridge Burbank and his work and his effect on documenting Native Americans back in his time. And at the very end of the tour, Ranger Alvis told us his last name which is Burbank. Right. Um, And so that was kind of a cool twist. Yes, it was a very intriguing twist. Right, right. Um, But yeah, the whole stop there was amazing. And I think one of the takeaways from all of these Navajo parks, especially if you can go on a Navajo guided tour, is hearing about these places from the Navajos themselves, right? Right. You know, you can read all you want in books, which is great. You can do all the research you want. But until you hear about these places and how they are sacred to the Navajo people and their love of the land, it's hard to get the complete picture of the Navajo Nation and all these incredible places. So yeah, there are a few of the parks in the Navajo Nation that you can visit, some of the historic sites. We would encourage you to seek these places out. So many people these days are traveling through the Southwest. So check some of these places out when you're traveling through Utah and and Arizona. 
All right, that's all for today. Thanks so much for hanging out with us for the past hour. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, we'd really appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We really would. Those reviews and nice comments help us reach a wider audience. Tune in next week when we'll be talking about Teddy Roosevelt, both the man and the park that's named after him. And coincidentally, there's a little time change confusion in that area as well. What are the chances? Thank you.